Father in heaven, we're indeed grateful that your way is in the sanctuary, that you uh, wanted to make a sanctuary to dwell among us. And that started in Genesis, as we saw the sanctuary there in Genesis. And it also uh, took place there on Mount Sinai and then was memorialized in the portable sanctuary during the Exodus. And uh, we're thankful for that, but we also are thankful that today you have a sanctuary. And as we study more about the ins and outs of the sanctuary, we ask that your presence would be with us. In Christ's name, amen. All right. You know, uh, the sanctuary is a wonderful tool to use in evangelism. And it is basically the reason this church exists. End-time events, all the other things that you can be studying here only make sense if you understand the sanctuary. And uh, one of the things that I did over the uh, last couple of years in the pastorate was I invited Messiah's Mansion to come. How many of you have heard of them? And there's flyers up here if you haven't already gotten them. And uh, they go around and they um, put up this life-size replica. And they also have some other things they gave me to tell you about if you want to be involved in doing that. Now, this is what I would say to you. I've written a tour, my tour notes for that sanctuary tour that I gave. What happened was I started to give the sanctuary tour, you know, just kind of like, I don't know, just kind of just, you know, just doing it. But then I started to off the top, right, off the cuff. Yeah, right down here, not quite up here. And uh, it was kind of off the cuff. And then I realized that the opportunity I had was a once in a lifetime opportunity with that person. I began to pray earnestly about it. The Lord gave me a tour where I started to move people through the sanctuary, and then I would deal with the prophecies as they related to each stage. Every single stage of the sanctuary, for instance, you go into the courtyard, that is where you talk about Daniel 9. Because you're, you're talking about the labor, you're talking about the baptism, you're talking about his death on the cross, that's all Daniel 9. You can also talk about Daniel 7, because the Antichrist power tried to counterfeit all those different things. Have a false cross, you see what I mean? Then, when you get down to this cleansing of the sanctuary, you're looking at Daniel 8 in in the holy place and in the most holy place. And I begin to move people through that as they would go through this right here. I probably gave tours to, I don't know. I know that on my report, I counted it up, and I had given... I had given 850 Bible studies in one week because they all went through that. And then what I'd do is I'd hand these cards out to them and I would appeal to them and the Lord would give me the gift of tears. You know what the gift of tears is? That means that you would cry with and for the people. You know what? That makes a big difference. I don't care all the knowledge you have. If you can get through to someone's heart, not just because you're manufactured, not because you're like taking some, you know, something to irritate your tears, but because you really love those people, you'll get through to their hearts. And those were the people that started to say, hey, look, I want to study. I want to be a part of this. Because, you know, people are, people are in trouble. And they come to your exhibit, let's say you put this exhibit up, and you only have 50 minutes with them, it can be the difference between life and death with them. They're kind of like this dog, Crafty, who I met in Romania. Crafty was not so crafty of a dog. He, uh, he was a dog that was a brilliant dog, actually, when you think of it, but his brilliance was only partial. Partial brilliance is a disaster. His brilliance was in climbing things, but he did not know how to get down. So if you let him out, he would climb a tree 
or he'd get on the top of the house, once he was on top of the water tower, and he loved it as long as he was climbing. But then he would go, oops, I don't know if I can get down. And then he would start to howl. Ah! Ooh, ah! And then the people would go and try and get him out. And try and get him out of the mess he was in. And they would, I mean, I saw literally these people climbing on stuff. They were in risk of losing their own life to get the dog down. And so Crafty, who was not so Crafty, they kept him holed up because he, they, they didn't like him outside. But they let him outside. He immediately climbed the fence. He climbed these ladder right there. Huh? That's a beer? Excuse me? Looks like a beer? Looks like a bear. Gonna say, brother, <laughs> we'd do some counseling with you. If you're if you were uh, if you're a pastor saying that looks like a beer, I was gonna say, <laughs> what conference are you with? Michelob Light. <laughs> All right, Michigan conference. Well, I have to Michigan a, a beer, and then uh, you got Jay's potato chips. <laughs> All right, so be ye oh now i talked about mark doug bester and now uh, jay i'm in trouble now be there transformed let's go now to our next thing we've looked at the sanctuary in this generation we saw the priority of the sanctuary all through the bible the second thing we looked at was the sanctuary in the book of genesis the second the third thing we looked at was the sanctuary in the book of exodus which was fascinating now we look at the truths for every generation in the sanctuary um, and I want to call this the ins and outs of the atonement. Because we get ourselves in a mess like Crafty did, and we don't know how to get out. And that's the purpose of the sanctuary. God wants us to be able to get out of the mess that we were in. Here's God's problem. He's got problems. You think you've got problems? God's got some problems too. Here's his problem. How can I save my children who have sinned without perpetuating their, perpetuating their dreadful disease. So how can I save them without letting this disease go on? Secondly, his problem is, how can I destroy the disease without killing them? So there is this, this whole idea. I mean, how can I help my people? Thy way, O Lord, is in the sanctuary. And that's the answer here. The answer to that question is found in the sanctuary. What did God desire to do through the sanctuary service? Read this with me. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefit, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals your diseases, who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies your mouth with good things, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. How many think that is a wonderful text? And that all comes out of the sanctuary. Forgiveness comes from the sanctuary, from Jesus in the sanctuary. Healing in my last lecture, I'll talk about the sanctuary and the health message. I'll show you how to lead people from health to him, just briefly, not the whole thing. Based on the sanctuary message. He redeems you. So it's not only physical healing, it is uh, you know, spiritual healing. And it is emotional healing. All those different things. He renews your youth. You don't have to be a part of GYC. If you're old, you can, you can still be a part of GYC if you're old. With the sanctuary message. That's why 
I tried to tell them this at the registration, but they still charged me for being old. So, so what I told them was, I'm not coming back unless I speak. So they had me speak this year. <laughs> anyway, but after they hear this, they probably won't do that again. So as a result of all this, it says, as far as the east is from the west. And like I said, how far is the south from the north? No, you can start going up and then it kind of changes. Then the east from the west, you just keep going. Or maybe not. The engineer might hurt, hurt me here. So this whole idea is that God wants to so far remove our sin from us and this planet that you just can't get there from here. That's what he wants to do. If you go north, you end up going south pretty soon. But if you go east, you're always going east. If you go west, you're always going west. I love how God said that. Now, having said that, I was challenged when I made these slides because I put the east and the west at the wrong side. Would you forgive me? Somebody, because that is not the east. That's the west. And, well, yes, but I understand. Oh, brother. This is why we have to study what to do when we make mistakes. You know that little song? As far as the east is from the west, so are my sins when I confess. Given to God and put to rest. As far as the east is from the west. Right? That's a beautiful song. That's not completely accurate. Um... And yet it is. Because as you went into the sanctuary, the sin problem was dealt with, and it was always moving further and further east. Finally, it'll all be taken care of, and we'll see that in this lesson today. Understand, let's under, to understand how sins move from the east to the west, we need to take a closer look at Leviticus. How many of you have studied Leviticus recently? How many of you just got up in the morning and say, oh man, I've got to get to Leviticus? Let me tell you something. The fastest growing church, non-Adventist church, one of the fastest growing churches, grew from no members to 7,000 members in Grand Rapids, Michigan. The sermon series, the first sermon series that was preached at that church was going through the book of Leviticus. You know what? We have a lot more to say about the book of Leviticus than that guy said in his sermons because I listened to him. But the book of Leviticus is basically the bottom line of understanding all about Jesus. Because it tells about sacrifice and the atonement. If you want to read a, a, big, a good new commentary on the book of Leviticus, I'd recommend not because of certainly the translation or necessarily the translation, although there are some good things in the NIV, but it's called the NIV Application Commentary, Leviticus and Numbers by Roy Gain. Roy Gain. He is the... He is the uh, Professor of Old Testament at the Adventist Theological Seminary. He got his Ph.D. in Berkeley University, and he did his dissertation on the book of Leviticus. And then Zondervan, which is, of course, a non-Adventist and Christian publishing thing, they published this particular commentary, which is amazing that they published it. It shows the chiastic structure of Leviticus being chapter 16. It has all that research done by Bill Shea, one of our own scholars. Wonderful book if you want to really get into Leviticus. And some of the things I'm talking about today come from that book. I wouldn't say it's new research, but it's renewed research in that book. 
The following steps will illustrate how God dealt with sin in the book of Leviticus. First of all, A, what had to happen first as God was dealing with sin? Leviticus chapter 4, verse 4 and verse 14. You can read it with me. He shall bring the bull to the door of the tabernacle of meeting before the Lord and lay his hand on the bull's head and kill the bull before the Lord. Now, who would bring a bull? Usually someone who was very wealthy or someone high in position. The larger you were in position, the larger the animal you brought. If you were a king, you brought the king's portion. You had to supersize me. If you were someone very poor, uh, you would bring turtle doves. And if you were really even poorer than that, you brought a grain offering. But no matter who you were, you had to come. And as they came, you see what happened. They bring to the door, and everybody would see. You're taking what? Responsibility. And then you lay your hand on the bull's head, and then you would kill the bull. Myself, I would be scared to death of killing a bull, because I would think the bull might kill me. But uh, I think it would make you think twice about sinning. Amen? You know what? Got to deal with the bull. <laughs> no thanks. <laughs> well, maybe not. So maybe you're not with me. Now, another thing they would have to do with their hand, three things they did with their hand. I just want to bring this out in this case I forget it. Number one, they'd lay their hand, and that was acknowledging they were that, that this was their animal, that they were transferring, if you will, symbolically what they had done to their animal. Then they would kill the bull with their hand because their sins were the ones killing that bull. Then number three, they would have to take the fat away from all the organs of the bull and put it on the altar. <laughs> you guys are all looking disgusted. That is, I mean, how many of you have ever seen fat? I mean, from the inside. From the inside. How many, is that a good experience? Do you like that? Does it smell good? And then you burn it. How many of you have ever cauterized some fat? And know how that smells. Does that smell good? That is pretty vile smelling stuff. Sin is pretty vile. You know, you look at the fats... Fat that people have, all kinds of things are stored. They're like every kind of toxin and whatnot. It sometimes end up in your fat. Pesticides and everything you're exposed to, it's in your fat. So he said he'd take all that fat away. These are the things that they did with their hand. Verse 14. When the sin which they have committed becomes known, then the assembly shall offer a young bull for the sin and bring it before the tabernacle of meeting. So they had to bring it before the tabernacle of meeting, before the door. So sin was acknowledged and brought to the door of the sanctuary. That's A. A. Mm. A. Oh, you're from Canada. Sorry. I meant like A in terms of the letters. B. She is from Canada, aren't you? Yeah. A. What was to happen once they came to the door? Verse 14 and 15, 5, 5 and 6. When the sins which they have committed becomes known, then the assembly shall offer a young bull for the sin and bring it before the tabernacle of meeting. And the elders of the congregation shall lay their hands on the head of the bull before the Lord. Then the bull shall be killed before the Lord. And here's the most important thing. And it shall be when he is guilty of any of these matters that he shall confess that he has sinned in, what's it say next? In what thing? What's that thing? It's a specific confession of a specific sin. He shall bring his trespass offering to the Lord for his sin, which he has committed. It was none of this like, oh God, forgive all the people who have been mad and, and been bad. 
you know, what she really means is you. But you're like praying so that your wife can't figure it out, or your kids. And forgive those who've not been good to their kids. And you know they're looking at you and going, that's you. So just come out with it. He has committed a female from the flock, a lamb of the kid of the goats, a sin offering, so the priest shall make atonement for him concerning his sin. So, the second thing, you brought it to the door, the second thing you did, you specifically confessed and transferred the sin, symbolically if you will, to an animal in the court. Symbolic transfer and specific confession. I think this is something lacking in the Christian church today. Specific confession many times, you know. Um, you know, sometimes you have communion and you, you don't, and people don't go through that. They're not prepared beforehand. And so, you know, it's, it's, it becomes a meaningless thing. C. The brought it to the door. Specific confession number C. What happened after the sinner's sin had been symbolically transferred to the animal of sacrifice? Leviticus 4 and verse 5. Then the anointed priest shall take some of the bull's blood and bring it to the tabernacle of meeting. So the next thing that happened was some of the bull's blood was brought into the tabernacle of meeting. Those of you who are new, and it is more than just a few this time, please do yourself a favor and fill out one of these completely. None of this, my name is Don. Fill it out completely, and then you can be a part of the drawing at the end. I'm going to be giving away a sanctuary, a replica sanctuary at the end of today. Only if you're here, of course. Then the anointed priest shall take some of the bull's blood, bring it to the tabernacle of meeting. Verse 16. The anointed priest shall bring some of the bull's blood to the tabernacle of meeting. Again and again it says that there's two ways that the sin was transferred. Either by the blood, or the priest would eat just a little bit of the meat. And usually, it was only like a thimbleful. You know, you think the priests are having a big steak. Okay, you send, it's time for my steak. And there were some people that got corrupt. The sons of Eli said, bring it raw. Because they loved the fact that people sinned, because then they could sell more books. I mean, more uh, lambs or whatever. We still have the problem today, don't we? Yeah. Right. So the priest who offers it for sin shall eat it, in the holy place it shall be eaten in the court of the tabernacle of meeting. So there were two ways to transfer the sin from the sinner. Brought it to the door, specifically acknowledged that then it was transferred to the what? To the sanctuary. So the sin, via the blood, or the priest, Leviticus 6.26, was transferred to the holy place. So they put some there on the court. Depending on how high-handed the sin was, it would go higher up. They'd splatter the blood higher up and higher and higher and up, you know, and then on the horns. And there were different things. And this great commentary that I just mentioned really goes through all that in detail. I, might cover, I, I can't cover all that, but I'm just telling you, it's fascinating. It's worth your study. Where else was the sin-laden blood placed? Leviticus 4, 7 and 18. And the priest shall put some of the blood on the horns of the altar of sweet incense before the Lord. So they sprinkle there on the altar... The outer and then the inner, they go right inside by the, the altar of incense, which is in the tabernacle of meeting, and she'll pour the remaining blood of the bull at the base of the altar of burnt offering, which is at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Now, I mean, these bulls, I mean, killing a bull, how many of you have ever killed a bull? This is not for the faint-hearted. This is, a, this is you know, unless you're, you know, with your, with your own hands. This is why they wouldn't let the priests serve after they were 50 years old. 
You could start serving in this when you were 20, you know, kind of robust, and then you're 50, they wouldn't let you do that, that, you know, that bull stuff anymore. You had to do some other stuff, maybe, you know, simple stuff like, you know, uh, answer the phones, whatever. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> um, this is what was transferred. <laughs> yeah, like a phone there in the sanctuary. All right. Leviticus 4, verse 18. And you shall put some of the blood on the horns of the altar, which is before the Lord, which is in the tabernacle of meeting. You shall pour the remaining blood at the base of the altar of burnt offering, which is at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. And then notice what happened. This is what I'm showing you this next text, Exodus chapter 30, verse 10, because I want you to understand something. When that blood went in, it symbolically was taking the sin into the sanctuary and it defiled the sanctuary. Now, why am I saying that? You know, there are some people today that say, oh, no, there was no defiling of the sanctuary by the sinner's blood. Oh, yes, there was. Notice what Leviticus, Exodus 30, verse 10 says. And Aaron shall make atonement for its horns once a year with the blood of a sin offering of atonement. Once a year he shall make atonement throughout your generations. It is most holy to the Lord. So once a year he had to make atonement for the altar itself because it was so dirty. How many of you are with me? So this, this, this whole idea of shifting the sin to the sanctuary is big. Two, two ways, by taking the blood in or eating a little bit of it, and the priest would represent you. Isn't it interesting that someone else has to represent us? We're saved by grace through faith. And they were all types of, of Christ, of course. Leviticus 4, 4, 15, sin, laden blood. Leviticus chapter 4, verse 4 and 15, sin, laden blood was placed on the horns of the altar, defiling it. Okay, so we've gone through our little our steps here. A, you came to the door, right? B, you specifically confessed your sins. C, some of the blood was put at the base and then taken inside. And then ultimately, or D, was ultimately um, sprinkled before the veil and the altar there right inside. This was the altar of incense, is more correct, was the pollution of the sanctuary. So once that happened, what was the result of this daily service? Leviticus 4.20. Read it with me to keep me awake. So the priest shall... What's the basic gist here? For the priest shall make atonement. What's it saying? For the who? Priest shall make atonement for them and it will be forgiven. The priest shall make atonement and be forgiven. Look, basically here, again and again, and that's, it's, it's quoted more times than that. This was just showing you how many times it's saying it. This was called the what? Atonement. Not the day of atonement. No. Does it say day of atonement up there? And this is atonement. Any day you came, this is what happened. The priest shall make what? Atonement, and it shall be forgiven. The priest, this is daily. This was the daily ministry. So, once that happened, day by day, what did it look like when they took a picture with their new digital camera down on the, on the uh, encampment? If you could have taken a picture... 
everybody here was now cleaned up because they'd come to the door and their sins were forgiven. But what was polluted? Sanctuary was completely polluted. Polluted. So where were the people's sins? And it was polluted. It was polluted. You know, blood is an interesting thing. How, how, how many of you are thankful for your blood? Why are you thankful for your blood? It's life and it's also death. Right? When someone dies, immediately what does the undertaker do if they don't want the, the body to just kind of fulminate and deteriorate and consummate? and No, not that. But, you know, what do they do? They take the blood out. Right? Immediately take it out. Because it's life-giving, but it's also life-taking, right? So what happened to the sins that have been transferred to the sanctuary? What did it say? He shall make atonement, and it shall be what? Forgiven. Now let's look at this forgiveness. Psalm 32, verse 1. What's it say? Blessed is, read it with me, blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is Covered. So forgiveness was called covering. Covering. What was forgiveness called? Covering. Have you ever forgiven someone? Do you remember that? Do you remember what they did to you? So what really have you done? You haven't forgotten it. You've heard the expression, forgive and forget? How many of you have ever forgiven? How many of you remember everything you've basically forgiven anybody of? Pretty much, right? Pretty much. I'm just making the point here. But in the sanctuary, it was covered. Blessed is he, Romans 4, 7 quotes this, whose lawless deeds are what? Forgiven, whose sins are covered. Now, I have a Macintosh computer because... I'm a Macintosh. And when I put things in the trash, are they still there somewhere in the computer? If I gave them to the FBI and the CRA and the... Or the conference? Oh, brother, you're having a rough time. Well, it's because you're drinking beer. <laughs> you guys were here at the first. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, let's get to the root of the matter. Okay, so... Uh, You put it in the trash, but it is what? It's covered. It's covered. What was the sin and impurity? Was the the sin and impurity to remain in the sanctuary forever? No, it was not. Look at these texts now. Psalm 51, verse 9, Leviticus 16, 16. Psalm 51, verse 9. Hide, Hebrew means to cover, your face from my sins... And then what's it say? And blot out all my iniquities. So you go from hiding or covering them to then what in this text? Blotting them out. Blotting them out. Leviticus 16, 16, there was a day where they moved from just covering sins to actually blotting them out. And this, of course, is the Adventist distinctive that I'm talking about today in this particular lecture. This is the difference between the atonement and the final atonement at the end of the year. Leviticus 16, 16. So he shall make atonement for the 
holy place because of the uncleanliness of who? The children of Israel and because of their transgressions. They aggressively transported themselves against the line, across the lines, for all their sins. And he shall do for the tabernacle of meeting, which remains among them in the midst of their uncleanliness. So on that day, what was happening? All of the sins have been transferred to the sanctuary. Now we're going to be what? They're going to be blotted out. Not just covered. Day by day, the priest would cover them symbolically, and they would be forgiven. That was called the what? Atonement. But it was not the final atonement of the year. It was just the atonement. Then, at the end of the year, they had the what? The atonement. Final atonement. That day of atonement, someone mentioned over here, I don't know who. Now we're there. When would this occur? Leviticus 16, 34, 29. This shall be an everlasting statute to you to make atonement for the children of Israel for all their sins. What? Once a year as he did, and he did as the Lord commanded Moses. So once a year, they had the day of at one mint. Final atonement, we'd say, because technically there was atonement going on all year, right? But now, after it was all transferred there, then it was taken care of. That is, there being the sanctuary, it was taken care of in the sanctuary. Leviticus 16, verse 29. This shall be a statute forever for you in the seventh month. On the tenth day of the month, you shall afflict your souls. Do no work on it, whether native of your country or a stranger who dwells among you. So, every year on the seventh month, the tenth day, there was this final atonement for the year made. So what did they use? Leviticus 16, 5-7. What were the animals used here? They had some goats. Two goats. And he shall take, verse 5, read it with me, from the congregation of the children of Israel, two kids of the goats as a sin offering and one ram as a burnt offering. Now what happened that morning, of course, was the priest went in first and offered a bullock for himself because the priest was a a big deal, you know, so he wanted to be cleansed, and so he had this bull. He had to get up pretty early to do all this. And then he comes back, and he has these two that represent the, the sanctuary. Now, notice what happens. This is what is what I like to call the grand reversal, because the pollution went this way, then the solution went this way. He shall take the two goats, present them before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Does that sound familiar? Then Aaron shall cast lots for the two goats, one lot for the Lord, the other lot for the state goat. Now, simple logic says if one goat is for the Lord, who's the other goats for? Got to be someone else other than the Lord. But some people get that confused. But it seems pretty much simple logic to me. I don't know about you, but I mean, I'm not the surface knife in the batch, but I can think I can cut that piece of bread. So the Lord and the other lot was for the scapegoat, so-called Azazel. And Aaron shall bring the goat on which the Lord's lot fell and offer it as a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot fell to be the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement on it and to let it go as the scapegoat into the wilderness. So Azazel at times literally trades as a scapegoat. Notice what some people other than Adventists have to say about it. There can be no doubt, whatever, that Azazel is a personal, a superhuman, and evil being, in fact, a wicked demon. 
It was approved of by early Christian writers who identified Azazel as Satan. So you can hear all kinds of people saying all kinds of things about who Azazel is and isn't. But through the centuries, many have seen that he is, just as Adventists say, Satan. Of the two goats, one was for Jehovah, signifying God's acceptance of the sin offering. The other was for Azazel. This is probably to be understood as a person being personified with, uh, being parallel with Jehovah in the preceding class. So Azazel is probably a synonym for Satan. The devil has a proper name, Azazel. He was expelled from Eden. So, on the Day of Atonement, the process then that had transferred the sin into the sanctuary, Leviticus 4, was now reversed. By the way, how many of you are thankful for reverse on your car? I'll tell you just a little story because uh, I'm given to that sometimes. I remember once I, my, I, my car was getting kind of, the, the trans, transmission was getting bad. And uh, I was in town, I was doing some visits. And my car, the only thing that would work was reverse. This is what happened at the Bible said, And I said, well, it's, I'm only four miles from home. I'm going to back home. So I did pretty good through the first couple intersections. People were looking at me odd. And I backed home. I backed all the way home. I called my conference president, speaking of conference presidents. And he, he laughed and laughed and laughed. And he published it in the next Monday morning memo, thereby totally embarrassing me. But I'm glad that God has a way to reverse things. Notice the reversal process as we look at Leviticus 16. After assuring his own cleanliness, the high priest would take the blood of the Lord's goat. Where would he take the blood of the Lord's goat? Let's look here. Leviticus 16.12. Then he shall take a censer full of burning coals of fire from the altar before the Lord with his hands full of sweet incense, beaten fine, and bring it within the veil. Which veil? Most holy place. And he shall put the incense on the fire before the Lord. And the cloud of incense may cover the mercy seat that is on the testimony lest he die. So in other words, when he went in all the way through the sanctuary service, everything was teaching by grace or you say through faith. You would come by faith thinking that your sons could be forgiven day by day and covered. And then the priest would by faith represent you. And then the high priest, they would have to have faith in him that he would represent everyone. But the high priest himself, he he had faith that the incense representing who? The the prayers and merits of Jesus would cover him so he wouldn't be destroyed. Every aspect was always by grace through faith, are you saying? The New Testament is not new in the sense of salvation history. It's new in terms of, uh, of, of where we are in the process of atonement. So it says, by grace are you saved through faith. That not of works, lest any man should boast. I mean, you couldn't boast and say, well, I confess my sins, so it's all over. Well, maybe it's not. What if God doesn't accept the next thing? You still have to be relying fully on him, right? All right. So he goes right into that most holy place, and he is sprinkling that blood there. He's covered completely with incense. Where was the blood of the Lord's goat placed? He shall take some of the blood, read it with me, of the bull 
and sprinkle it with his finger on the mercy seat on the east side and before the mercy seat he shall sprinkle some on the blood sprinkle some of the blood with his finger what seven times so it's on it and then before it you see this again and again on it and then before it and that number seven and then he shall kill the goat of the sin offering which is for the people and bring its blood inside the veil and do with that blood as he did with the blood of the bull and sprinkle on the mercy seat and before the mercy seat. So again, just two texts showing the same thing. Well, what was the promise of God? Exodus 25, 22. What was really there at the mercy seat? I will meet with you and speak with you from where? Above the mercy seat from between the what? Which are on the ark of the testimony about everything which I have, I will give you in commandment to the children of Israel. So in other words, he was right in the very presence of God, sprinkling the merits of that sacrifice there. So the first thing then that was cleaned was what? The ark, the mercy seat. What was the next thing that was cleaned? What would you do? What would you do? Where would you go next? You would go next to the altar of incense. He asked, how does the blood clean it? I think it's a symbolic cleansing. The life is in the blood. Death is in the blood. You know, it points to the blood of Jesus that would cleanse every sin. It was a, it's a typological thing. But, you know, blood is very interesting. They've done studies of blood. You know, you know where we learn most about blood? Hematology was born out of World War I and World War II. In World War I, we were losing all kinds of tr- troops because of uh, of, of volume loss. They didn't know how to, people would start bleeding, they didn't know what to do. And so they, they came up finally with this idea of plasma, and these powder things of plasma during World War I. The Red Cross discovered it. Then they discovered gamma globulins and all those different things. It all came out of war. You know, the people that give most blood in America are over 75, or because they were part of World War II or around that era. And they know the importance of blood to all the troops over there. There was one time this guy was there and he was getting blood and he, he was almost dead. And then someone gave him this blood that matched his. And he looked up at the vial and said, General Eisenhower. He was saved by the blood of General Eisenhower. The life is in the blood. So it's a symbol, you know. But in your body, <laughs> if you didn't have blood, brother, you wouldn't be cleansed. So... Um, what was cleansed next? We had the altar, or rather the ark, but then what was cleansed next? Let's read it together. Leviticus four sixteen and 17. Remember that text? Exodus 30, verse 10. I said, look, once a year there was atonement made for it to cleanse this altar. So what was cleansed next? Let's read it. Then the priest shall dip his finger in the blood and sprinkle some of the blood seven times before the Lord in front of the veil of the sanctuary. So right in front of it would be right where? right next to the altar of incense. Then the priest shall dip his finger in the blood, sprinkle it seven times before the Lord in front of the veil. Aaron shall make atonement on its horns, that is the altar of incense, once a year with the, with the blood of the sin offering of atonement. Once a year he shall make atonement for it through all your generations. So, next, so the first thing that was cleaned, by the way, how many of you have ever cleaned carpets? Uh, I've been a carpet, I was a carpet cleaner for a number of years. I can tell you some very interesting stories. But what I learned, one of the things I learned was, if you're going in to clean carpets, you go to the furthest confines of the house first. You don't start at the front door and then walk over everything you cleaned. Although I did that the first couple times. 
But you kind of learn. And in this process, it goes all the way to the inmost, and then it's coming out. Oh, I should tell you just a quick funny story. I had this one friend of mine. We worked at Carpet Kingsway Carpets, we called it. This guy, we had this, for these big rugs you take out of people's houses, we're cleaning these rugs, and you had this big machine you put them through, and you scrub them and everything, and it was the noisiest machine you ever could find on planet Earth. I mean, OSHA would probably, OSHA would use it as the poster child of of the the mother of all bad places to work. And this huge noise, and you couldn't hear what was happening, and then there was this drying room as we were cleaning these these these, these rooms, and my, my friend's name was Randy, but I called him smashed because he always smashed everything. And Randy was just a klutz. And I'm cleaning it, and it would go through, and then he'd put it up on the racks. Why am I telling you the story? I don't know why, but I just want to tell it to you. And all of a sudden, I can't find Randy anywhere. The rug is up on the rack. I think everything's cool. I said, Manny, maybe Randy went. I can't find him. All of a sudden, I said, Mac! Mac! And I thought, Aflac. No, there wasn't back there. But I said, what is this sound? Where is it? Where is it? What? I said, I need help. I said, where are you? He got stuck on the uh, these little sharp things that you put the rug on, and then you pull the rug way up to the blowers. He was underneath the rug, stuck on his backside, and he was way up there in the air. And he was like this in the middle of the rug. Matt! Matt! If I wouldn't have found him, he would have been... You know what a lizard looks like when it's dehydrated? I'm glad God's system is not like that, amen? It is a very good system. So it goes from the inside out. Leviticus 16, 18. He shall go to the altar that is before the Lord. And by the way, that's the altar of incense. Make atonement for it, and shall take some of the blood of the bull and some of the blood of the goat, and put it on the horns of the altar and all around, that he shall sprinkle some of the blood on it, and cleanse it, and consecrate it from the uncleanliness of who? The children of Israel. Okay, so we've done the ark. We've done the altar of incense. Now, what do you suppose next? The brazen altar, if you will. Leviticus 16, 20, and 21. Is the sanctuary physically cleansed or symbolically cleansed? Yes. That was the cleansing that You know, I don't know about the physical cleansing. I mean, some people have asked me, did I, you know, I just... I never saw anything about Clorox or anything in there, or Calgon take it away or anything like that. But I think that I think they must have had some kind of process. I think I made an error. That last altar was actually the altar of sacrifice. So what then happened to, to Azazel? When he had made an end of atoning of the holy place, the tabernacle of meeting, and the altar, he shall bring the live goat. Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat, confess over it all the iniquities of the children of Israel and all their transgressions concerning all their sins putting him on the head of the goat, and shall send him away into the wilderness by the hand of a suitable man. So in other words, now all the sin was taken from the sanctuary and now was put on this live goat. Now for a, a goat to, you know, represent the Lord, it would have to be, its blood would have to be shed and it would have to be killed, but this one didn't go through that. And everything was symbolically on Azazel or the devil. And then it was taken by the hand of a suitable man into the wilderness. A suitable man would be what kind of a man? Some who was fit, someone who was fit, yes. But the other thing is that this, this particular person, well, let's see what happened to them. We'll come back to it in a minute.
The reversal was complete, except for now they're taking them out totally out outside the camp. The most holy place was clean. The holy place was clean. Everything was cleansed. During the daily services, the priest did not need to wash unless some of the sin-bearing blood splattered on him. So in other words, when the sin was being transferred in, a priest never had to wash unless some of that blood, you know, from the land they were taking into the holy place, they splattered on them, then they had to wash completely because it was like the sin was back on them. But on this particular day, what happened on the Day of Atonement? Leviticus 16, 22, 26, and 28. Notice what happened. They would only wash if a little splattered on, but now notice what happens. Leviticus 16, 22, read it with me. The goat shall bear on itself all their iniquities to an uninhabited land, and he shall release the goat in the wilderness. And he who released the goat has escaped, shall wash his clothes and bathe his body in water. Why? Because that was totally defiled. It was the sin-bearing thing. Can you see what, the point that I just made? So on the way in, only if a little bit got on you, but on the way out, you had to wash big time. Because now that was the concentrated, symbolically concentrated sin of the entire nation now being totally taken away and taken out. It was the royal flush, so to speak. Everything was going to be gone. Yeah. So the suitable man, you know, he was the person that, that, that would do that, but he was only made suitable again by totally being washed. Then he who burns them, in other words, even when you uh, uh, burned up the uh, leftover sacrifices or anything else of that day, he had to wash his clothes and bathe his body in water, and afterwards he could come to the camp. So what was the end result then? Notice the end result. How many think this is a very beautiful picture? The picture we showed you before was what? Clean, clean, polluted. But now it's clean, clean, clean. How many of you can see the biblical doctrine of the atonement as taught by the sanctuary? How many of you can see that it comes from the Bible, not from Ellen White? Ellen White understands the Bible. But you need to be able to give the Bible study I just gave you. So get the notes off the internet and be ready to do that. Because this is the point where Adventists are attacked more than any other of the sanctuary doctrine. Right here. But the reason is because those that are attacking have this doctrine of the atonement that is once saved, you're always saved. They basically have a doctrine that is Romans chapter 3 through Romans chapter 5. They don't have a sanctuary doctrine that's based on everything you've been studying in this seminar. So they don't understand the totality of the atonement. What did we learn today? That there's an atonement, but there's also a final atonement each year. And as in the type, so in the antitype. Important. Every year in Yom Kippur, the final atonement was made. What feast followed the Day of Atonement? The Feast of Tabernacles. And they had this feast of terror because everything is taken, taken care of. I don't want to go through because I'm out of time. But what would they do? They would have these booths and they would build these booths. I love building little booths for my kids in my churches through the years. And I say, we're going to have a feast of tabernacles. We're going to pretend what it would be like because we go to heaven for a thousand years and we have booths that he's built for us. And for a thousand years, we're like hanging out, camping with the Lord. Amen. And that's what it symbolized. In fact, they even do it in, in cultures today. The Jewish culture, they, they build a booth suit coat there, you know. Underneath there, he's playing his violin and 
I built one way up on the stage and all the kids came up, you know. (laughs) And after the atonement, there's reason, the final atonement, there's reason to celebrate. All right. Well, it's been a good day. I think we're almost out of time. But those of you who have yours to turn in, we're going to have a drawing now. And right now, we're kicking it up a notch. We are giving away a big sanctuary now. You can't give away a small sanctuary when you're talking about the Day of Atonement. This is a this thing was actually a, cost about ninety five bucks. You put this all together, and there's your brazen altar and everything. It'd be a great teaching tool for you. And no, it doesn't include the one. I'm going to get the drawing. Those who come to this class, they get to have drawings where there are fewer names involved. You know, there's benefits to entering the sanctuary class. Anyone else here? Is this yours? Okay, remember again, you can't... Let me see, I'm going to have a drawing here. So we're going to give away this one. And uh, then I have two more of these to give away. And then I have actually the actual one-tenth size furniture of the sanctuary, which I think is going to be exciting for someone to win that as well. Let me just... Now, some of you, some people who are not alive and have not remained, may, uh, may be called out here. And I just feel so much pressure about this because this is such a nice gift. You know what I mean? I just, would, I just wish that each one of you could win it. I really do. But, of course, you can't. Now, if... If I was to give away one piece at a time, you know, we'd be here a while. But that would probably not work out so well. Oh, man, I just feel so nervous because so many of you are going to be losers. (laughs) You know, I just feel bad about that. You could be a loser. No, you're all winners, so you wouldn't be here, you know. Okay. All right. Don't leave now. You could win. You didn't put your name in? Oh, you didn't put your name in? Oh, you're predestined to being a loser. Okay. Go ahead. Go ahead and, and, and pick. Who's going to pick? Go ahead and pick one out of there. Just close your eyes. Okay. <laughs> oh, I just hate this. Don't you hate it? Mm. Don't waffle, brother. Waffles get eaten. Can't read it. it. Says Shawanda Brass. Oh, your lucky day she's gone. <laughs> One more time. <laughs> anyway, anyone know Shawanda? Tell her that she lost. Here it is. Robert Blaze. B L A. Hey, give him a big hand. Okay, we're going to give away a couple more coming up and uh, in our next couple lectures. But our next couple lectures are closing up now. We've looked really at the foundational things. And now we're going to look at the sanctuary of the New Covenant in our next class tomorrow morning or whenever it is. And then finally, uh, really the practical application of the sanctuary. Thank you. Let's just pray together as you leave. Father in heaven, we're this thankful 
for the atonement, that you cover our sins each and every day, and also for the fact that you've moved now into the time of final atonement. How wonderful that you are cleansing the entire universe, and how wonderful that we can have the assurance that you are attempting every way to get us in, not keep us out. And yet there's only so much you can do. We need to uh, respond and uh, move out in faith, which you actually give to us as a fruit of the Spirit and uh, access your grace. And we thank you for that. We come in Christ's name. Amen. This media was produced by Audioverse and Hope Media Ministry for GYC, Generation of Youth for Christ. If you would like to listen to more great media like this presentation, or if you would like to learn more about GYC, please visit www.gycweb.org. You can also find great witnessing media at audioverse.org and at hopevideo.com.